2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Walk Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello,
3: Scott Tilford. Hello,
2: Josh Brown. I think we should talk about E3 season. But e is dead.
3: Are, the kids are calling it E3 season. Scott Telford, e 3 is
2: dead. <laughs> you stupid old man. <laughs> I think the, um, the whole thing with E3 season, as it's doing the rounds on social media, seems to be the term used for grouping together every single thing that's happening across the next two months. That being the Summer Games Fest, the Future Games Show, the amount of individual publisher streams that are happening, Ubisoft, Capcom, probably Nintendo in there as well.
3: It's funny isn't it? Because, you know, E3 is not happening this year, and yet we're still using that term. (laughs) Because, for as much as I love Jeff Keighley, and I genuinely have a lot of admiration for the man. He's a good little man. I'm not calling it Summer Game Fest season. (laughs) Even if E3's not there, to me, it will forever be E3 season. He wishes it was called Summer
2: Games Fest season. Um, But yeah, I think the whole thing um, that I wanted to get at here is the idea that we're kind of finally pronouncing E3 dead this year. And obviously that's been a thing for the last, you could argue, like, four, three, four years. There was a whole thing back in, I think, 2019, it might have been 2018, where their their plans to revive E3 and make it more popular and whatever leaked. And there was a whole bunch of email chains that leaked in regards to the plans they had and the apps they were trying to make. And they wanted to make Qtainment and they wanted to recruit a bunch of celebrities. And it was just, it sounded horrible. It was very like um, the ASA who were in charge of the whole thing wanted to charge the publishers who were still going to attend even more money. It was like six-figure sums to uh, to have their games there and they couldn't stream them and whatever. And I think that now that we go through the pandemic, when we had all of last year, and then E3 got canceled again this year. Um, and Jeff Keighley was over on um, the Friends Per Second podcast talking about how he was, you know, offered that whole revival thing, and he didn't like the sound of it, so he went off and did Summer Games first. and obviously that's blown up a hell of a lot more. But the idea of E3 at this part of the year still holds, hence E3 season. But I don't want to talk about E3 memories. I want to talk about what made E3. I want to talk about if it feels like we're losing something or missing something. I've identified some specific stuff. Um, But yeah, when I say, like, you know, what made E3, what do you
3: think? Cringe. (laughs) What made E3 was cringe, Scott Telford. And you know what? When we talk about (laughs) our memories of E3 seasons. It was so much cringe. (laughs) It was so much cringe. It was beautiful. It was so much cringe. There was so much crap. There was was so much disappointment. Yeah. But you know what? I miss it. When we uh, covered the PlayStation Showcase earlier this week, you know, that got a hugely divisive reception from people. I saw so many comments on our reaction video Mm. and online who weren't even watching us calling it one of the worst press conferences I was going to say, I think that they've ever seen, right? they are
2: the only people who said it was good. Yeah. Everything I've seen is unanimously hating it.
3: And it makes me think think, and I mean this genuinely, kind of as a joke, but also genuinely, when did you get into video games? Right. Because if that was the worst conference you have ever seen, and I'm not (laughs) saying it's the best that I ever saw, I thought it was a solid 7 out of 10, Mm -hmm. but if that was the worst you've seen, you were not around for the Kinect days. For
2: Konami 2012. You were
3: not around for Konami, you were not around for some of the Ubisoft conferences I've seen. You were not around for the the move controller reveal that Gosh. everyone hated. Like like the the depths that we have plunged into <laughs> over the years and um, across E3 go much deeper than what yeah. we saw from Sony's conference the other night. And while that is bad and those years were bad and was not what we wanted at all I will miss it because I E3 promised that. so much, right? E3 promised brand new reveals, the biggest games ever. Mm. But it also promised hijinks and we don't get hijinks now. No, we don't get jinks at all now. The
2: thing is, I, I threw in here, the first thing that I thought of when I was thinking about what made E3, it was the live environment. And I wrote down the word theatricality because yeah. there, there was a lot of like, it wasn't necessarily pomp, but it was circumstance. And it was a lot of like, we're going to dim the lights. We're going to have this, this slow burn reveal. The trailers are edited in a way that it doesn't give away what something is for a good few minutes or whatever. And you got a bit of that in the Metal Gear Delta remake trailer where it started with just the frog and everything else. Um, like that whole thing of making a trailer for E3 was a specific thing, alongside um, you know focusing on gameplay and having a gameplay demo and having someone try and play it on stage, and it never ever working, it always just failing. Um, but yeah, like you said, that was like there was something endearing about it, even though like you said, cringe and theatricality uh, theatricality almost go hand in hand.
3: Absolutely, and I think why I miss the cringe and why I certainly <laughs> miss the theatricality is because they are both synonymous with personality at the mm. very least. And while I really enjoyed the Sony Conference the other night, and I've enjoyed uh, other state of players, Nintendo Directs, the Xbox Showcase, and whatnot, mm. that Sony Conference in particular to me was lacking that element of flair, was lacking that theatricality. While the games were good, it had nothing on me for me on the excitement on of E3's gone by where mm. you have that elaborate stage show. Mm. You've got like these things and these props and these actors on stage that accentuate the game's reveal. You have that kind of showmanship that like, you just don't get in these mm. quite um sterile uh videos, video <laughs> presentations. And that's and that's genuinely what I miss because it gives the brands, the R brands, like a certain level of character that I think has been lost. I'll you, I was trying
2: to think of, I forget the name of the term, but it's like there was a, like, a- this is the vaguest description of a thing in human history and someone out there will be like you're trying to describe this and you lack the information for it but there was a thing and I think it was like in sort of Victorian times or whatever in England where people would pay money for a travelling show and they pay for like a variety show and they just sit down they don't know exactly what they're going to get but you might get a juggler you might get someone who's got two heads you might get whatever and you just pay and you sit down but it's like a shared experience and amongst the people who are paying for some sort of entertainment. E3 was largely that to me Yeah, and I feel like when you look at the online versions of it and the live chats and everything else, we're all just sat in that giant nebulous global audience going like, well, I hope the next thing's good. Yeah. Or like all reacting at once going, well, this is terrible. As the next comment says, this is brilliant. I've been waiting for this for 10 years. And like, it was just, the variety of it was like the best part of it. And like, in amongst that was cringe, in amongst that was bad timing, whatever. Um, I also just, when you were talking about um, personality, I wrote down two words, Joel McHale. Because yes. um, I was thinking oh, about man. those legendarily terrible E3 performances. Infamous. Joel McHale's one, uh, I think it was for Ubisoft. Um, where he just didn't want to play along with anything. That was the year where they had to show off that laser tag game as well. Um, just horrific. He just hated his time on stage. There was Mr. Caffeine as well. Yeah. Um, actually, all three for Ubisoft because as much as I love Aisha Tyler, um, her, like she's largely mostly remembered for awkward, cringe crowd moments trying to talk to people who were in costume. I thought she mostly was able to roll with the energy of E3. Yes. Um, I thought she was the best of, of, of that bunch, clearly. But um, yeah, when it went wrong, it would go massively wrong.
3: I mean, like I didn't even Play certain franchises that I look forward to seeing at E3 mm. every year. You mentioned Ubisoft there. Like, I always loved the just dance presentations <laughs> because they were cringe and it's not what I was personally uh. there for, but I liked that they were there. It was something familiar, and it's not just that I want familiarity, but there was like a nice sense of settling into mm. E3 mm. and a sense of this is a community driven thing or at least it felt like that it has had the illusion of it where we're all together we're all witnessing the cringe we're all <laughs> witnessing the reveals like you said and we're doing it in a communal way mm-hmm. and I think that the state of players especially lack that because it's just 20 minutes of stuff people are in the chat they kind of want that vibe mm-hmm. and they're not getting it it's these, these publishers keep us at a distance now and the showcases are way more infrequent than the ever year I mean mm-hmm. look how long how long was it like almost two years, year 21 months
2: or something for PlayStation?
3: 21 months between their showcases mm. where we used to get E3 in the middle, the middle of the year, and sometimes we'd even get something in the summer mm. or in the winter that kind of fleshed it out, but now we get one and there's so much anticipation for it, there's so much expectation that when you get a pretty good one like Sony's conference last week, mm. that it gives you like, or at least gave me personally, about eight games to look forward to, we say well, where's the rest? The
2: thing is, we let's drill down on this because I wish I um, saw the person who tweeted this out, but I saw someone who's a, a games journalist saying that one of the biggest changes that's happened between the E3 days or the idea of like you know live event days and the current streaming days is a complete lack of hands-on time with the games themselves, that the feeds are so curated um, that you don't get that middle step of like the journalist stepping in going like, actually, it plays like hell. Actually, yeah. that thing's not in the game or whatever. Um, Summer Games Fest still has that. Jeff Keighley's still letting people make appointments to do hands-on stuff over in LA which is cool um, but he's like one out of the whole bunch like I mean the like you said the Playstation Showcase was just a just one hour of trailers which is that's the thing to, to drill down on is that when Nintendo started doing that in amongst the live stuff when they bailed on doing live things and I have a couple of examples of when Nintendo were full theater um, you know when they got rid of that stuff that was like oh this is the model this is what we should do and I, I do like just having an hour of like curated trailers I don't mind that um, but I think that's interesting because it was like every, everyone was hailing Nintendo, the Nintendo Direct and the Treehouse streams and the indie stuff. as like, this is what we should do. And now that we're here, we don't have that humanity that we had before. And it's pros and cons. I think like, yeah, coming out of the showcase for me, I was like, this is loads of stuff. I, even if I didn't like what I was being shown, which I did, um, at least it's nice and quick and the next thing's on and you, just, you eliminate the downtime entirely.
3: You do. It's efficient, right? It's mm. really efficient. You pack a lot of games into the time frame, and I don't want too much of the the. the- you know, I don't right. want too much of people talking and telling you about how the shares are doing and how much money they <laughs> oh, made The ones are always terrible. The AA ones are terrible. You know, you could have someone in the crowd and they're like, oh, well, we're making a new Star Wars game. <laughs> uh, we've got no footage or anything, but we're making one, we'll guys. be for Bye. No, but I think there's a better balance that could be struck because mm. whilst the no-nonsense approach definitely has its merits, mm. when you're putting everything on the games and those games aren't 10 out of 10 knock-your-socks-off explosions. Mm. Um, It kind of leaves people feeling like, well, where's everything else? (laughs) What have I tuned in for? Yeah, why is this being dropped out the blue? At least with E3 Weekend, you knew that that was coming every year, and Mm. you knew that all of the publishers and all of the developers would be there and have something to show off. So it wasn't necessarily on the publishers to kind of justify... Their conferences, yeah, yeah. in the same way that they have to justify them when they announce them out of the blue, like Sony did, because then it's like, well, they must have something big to show. It was just something that happened, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that kind of ceremony of it, I think, made it feel less like life or death. Because, like I said, there were so many showcases to come, there were so many more announcements to come that Mm. it didn't feel like that everything needed to be 10 out of 10 in the same way that now, when a Company announces a conference after 20 more months away, it feels like, well, this needs to be huge because when am I going to get the next one?
2: Well, that that's the thing, right? Because, like, the origins of E3 are, like, in the Electronic Entertainment Expo, it was always a tech show. Like, it started as a tech thing, and it was like, what's the latest tech you guys have? And it was like, flip phone, and oh my god, and, like, over the years, like, it became this whole gaming thing, and, like, gaming's roots as a, as a tech entity have that idea of, oh, what, what have you got next? What are you doing next? And, like, that, I think that always plays into gameplay reveals, cool mechanics, SSD D tech, whatever it is, and so when you don't have that, like you said, it's like oh my god, this thing just looks like the last gen. Spider Man Two is getting dragged because it looks too similar to the PS4 one. Yeah, and it's like yeah, kinda, but like the amount of things that game is now doing, like PS4 couldn't do. Um, but that stuff, like that side of it, is interesting because like one of the things I had down here to talk about is like I'll be better off now, and I do think we are in terms of like uh, the optics of the amount of games that you can uh, see and keep up with. Like I like the idea that there's a Ubisoft stream, a Capcom stream, whatever, and there's one every sort of two weeks or something. Um, I like the idea, I would take more of them. I would rather they had something every other week. Like, ostensibly, give me a weekly TV show, that, right. TV model, that is, like, the rollout of the latest trailers or the latest talking points. And, I mean, that's is a much wider thing if you keep extrapolating outwards. I think there's such a massive issue with optics on the gaming industry. People don't understand how games are made. People don't understand, like, timeframes. Um, you know, if you checked in with different devs on, like, a monthly model, let's say, um, you could way better... Um, temper expectations for certain big AAA games, and you could get ahead of all the leaks and say, like, "Actually, we're struggling to bring this together. We're we're hoping this, but you know, I just think that there's a level, there's a layer of honesty there that would totally work, but everything would have to work in lockstep with it.
3: That's it, right? I think as gaming continues to grow exponentially, yes. as it is and becomes so huge, and publishers have so much relying on the games, I just don't think we'll ever get that level of honesty from mm. like the big publishers because it just impacts the perception of games too much because, like you said, a lot of us, and we do this for a job, and even I don't have that much literacy on how games are made on a granular level, how they come together, what looks good at pre-alpha compared to final build, you know? Like, when people saw those leaked screens and the leaked footage for GTA 6 they were saying like this looks like GTA 5 and it's like (laughs) the game's so far away and I think it's hard to shift that first impression because we're so reliant now on those big reveal trailers on those promises that Mm. we see from the first gameplay snippet of something like a chart promising what we're going to get that I just think the industry's too big to kind of pivot away from that, even though I do agree with you that it would be healthier if it managed to. Well,
2: that's the thing, right? because I, I always remember when uh, Force Awakens came out, finished or whatever, and they showed Ryan Johnson on set for The Last Jedi, and it was the very first day of shooting, and they just put there was a little bit of video um, with him on, on location, and it was like, we're just beginning filming, and everyone got it. It's like, there's a literacy there, or there's an understanding for film um, of the process that isn't there for gaming, and it's like, it should be. It should be there with like, and it should be enforced in terms of like the um the feat of coding that it will require to bring together perfect dark on Series X or whatever it is Um, and you have more developer diaries we always get them after the fact Um, but it should be alongside like you should be championing championing the devs to bring to to land the plane every time
3: well that's where I think what you mentioned earlier about how in the E3 days which again aren't perfect by any means you know I hated so many E3s (laughs) but I thought the potential was high but in those days like you mentioned like that tweet mentioned Mm. you would see a CG trailer perhaps and then there would be a behind closed doors um, demo of it Mm. to journalists who would Mm -hmm. then write up what they saw all. And that just doesn't necessarily happen no. anymore. So I felt like in the, in the past, you had way more access to games than we do now, which is weird because now we have so much, so many more access points. But you don't get those previews, I think, as, as much as you did previously. Not on Mars, no. And I don't know if that's a good thing because it keeps expectations tempered. It doesn't allow journalists to write about features and promises that just won't end up in the game because Mm. of time or because they didn't work or the vision changed or whatever. But there was was a comfort there as a fan and as a consumer to be able to track a game's development a little bit more and closely than we can now.
2: Yeah, I think the CG thing as well, it's like, there's a level of it that's like, they're getting away with this. Like this, I mean, a lot of people, I, I hate CG trailers as much as the next person. I always think they're pointless. As soon as a as as trailer starts and it says, you know, this isn't gameplay footage, not representative of the final version. I'm like, well, why are you even bothering showing it to me? Mm. Other than you're telling me that something is in production um but yeah that idea of like going down the CG route in a live stream context means you don't have to do the gameplay demo layer because it might not even be there might not even be anything to play yet yeah. but it was always like they would, they would reinforce each other. Like, assumedly in the olden days, it's like it was ancient, like it was years ago. <laughs> uh, you know, you wouldn't be able to even do the CG trailer if you couldn't back it up with a, journal, with a demo for the journalists or the people who were attending. Like, E3 was a public show across the 2010s. Um, I think that's an interesting thing that's changed as well, to just sort of address that lack of hands-on stuff. Um, quickly for what you said as well, Go for, um, you know, the... the like, blanket coverage that would come with reveals, they nearly always go to one outlet now. It's like IGN exclusive or um, Game Informer get the exclusives. Um, and it's, that kind of just speaks to either the amount of people trying to get access to the game or just on the publisher side, which outlet can we give this to that's actually going to benefit our marketing? There's the whole unsaid thing about how the preview cycle is an extension of marketing. And if it doesn't benefit the creator anymore, they won't do it.
3: And I think that's why, and this is no shade because we kind of exist <laughs> in the same circle and I enjoy a lot of influencer mm. content creators, but I think that's why the shift with hands-on previews has started to move away from those kind of like legacy media oh, yeah, journalistic yeah, yeah. companies and gone towards influencers who you know uh, do can do incredible work can do scrutinous work mm. but also it's not guaranteed because there's so many different channels that I can go to and they might not have necessarily the, the same kind of what would you even call them editorial tenants? I was going to say were, like of a, of a, of a legacy media brand, not saying they were perfect either, but you know, publishers are, are smart and they want people who will hype their game up oh, yeah. and, you know, media has changed and the YouTube discourse is different to what articles used to be. and article discourse now is different to how, articles were written back then mm-hmm. you know, i think that like that landscape has definitely uh, changed in terms of previews
2: oh man if you're um the pr person you're the, the person who's looking after the reputation of a game that's upcoming it benefits you massively to directly target jimmy star wars fan 505 with two million subs um, and just give them a copy of jedi survivor they'll likely say something better than a, than a uh, standard outlet that's got it in amongst five other things to get to that week Um, Yeah, that's a whole other thing, but um, it all just kind of ties into the video game coverage and the idea of what E3 used to mean, because E3 used to mean big reveals, you didn't really get them for the rest of the year, people would wait until E3. Um, and specifically, you know, you dominate. You're know, like forty-five minutes or whatever it is on stage. You hold everything back for that showcase. Um, whereas now, which is what I w- again, what I want to see more of, um, you just do that. Nintendo just randomly say they have a direct. People think there's going to be one in the next couple of weeks, and amongst everything else. But if Sony have something, they do a state of play. If Xbox have something, which they never do, they do an <laughs> Xbox Direct or whatever. But um, I like that. I like that in general a lot more than waiting for one time of the year. But it also means that you did never have that E3 is the Super Bowl of gaming thing anymore.
3: Yeah, exactly. I just want to kind of actually before I go to that point, is that yes. okay? I want to go back to something you said about <laughs> uh, the shifting nature of game demos and the mm. shift towards CGI or trailers. Thing, yeah. Because to me, right, I actually comp- I think it's completely justified why we don't get much gameplay anymore and we only get gameplay towards the end of a development cycle. And that's yes. because there were so many downsides to creating vertical slices of gameplay uh, in years gone by. One, the gameplay that was shown sh- uh, sh- off Mm -hmm. was, you know, often not final. It was something that was supposed to be representative of the final product. So it would look different to what we would eventually get. It would play different. It would have different scripting, different mechanics. And that was because the game itself just didn't exist at that Mm -hmm. point. Like the developers had to show something that reflected what they planned on doing rather than what they currently had in production. And the second reason, I think, is that, you know, you look at reports from E3s gone by and you'll see developers had to take time out of actually developing a game to create (laughs) those specific... Video game uh, gameplay trailers mm-hmm. that ultimately got us excited, but then detri- were detriment to the final product, perhaps. I well, that think. was
2: literally the um, Cyberpunk 2077 thing that came out afterwards. Was that that whole thing they showed journalists or the press or whatever wasn't the final build? Like it was a whole separate thing.
3: Exactly. So on that hand, I can totally see why you know people might accuse us of looking at E3 through rose-tinted glasses, glasses because it had a lot of problems, and those demos that we were so used to created a lot of problems for those teams, and we don't necessarily have that to the same extent anymore, which is good, mm. but then people don't necessarily like CGI trailers, so it's like we haven't replaced that with a cool thing. We've replaced it by necessity, perhaps, but not with something that has the same level no. of excitement, and if there is, if that's even possible, I don't know.
2: Well, that should be the thing. It should be holding back the marketing until you have something to show and not doing the metro. Prime 4, not doing the Elder Scrolls 6 thing where you go, we've got a logo, guys, we're, Like, we're, we're going to do something, um, you would assumedly be able to free up the times and not advertise that stuff so early, but I get the the wider machinations of studio funding, or shareholders to please, or whatever, whatever reason that is that you need to tell people that something is in motion. In Bethesda's case, it was just the trying to reassure people after Fallout 76 that they hadn't lost their mind, so it was just, we've got Elder Scrolls coming. Um, speaking of Rose Tinted Glasses, um, when you think of E3 and think of the positive stuff, think of like the really cool builds, and. You know, reveals, Um, I'm just going to run a few off here because I feel like one of the most recent ones, and maybe the last big one, uh, was the Return of God of War. And the yeah. way that Sony did that, that was one of the last times they had a theatrical showcase where they had the orchestra pit. I think it was Sean Layden who was the um, head of PlayStation at the time. And um, that was that weird Crash Bandicoot fake out thing. But it was also the one when God of War came out uh, where it was like a character in Shadow and then Kratos stepped out and you had, and people shared the reaction videos. That's, that's a key thing is like, are we sharing reactions to this? No one was really sharing many reactions to like Spider-Man 2 or anything. Not that they didn't happen, but I feel like you were hungry to see people react to Kratos returning. That yeah. was part of like E3 style uh, stuff, even though that was a PlayStation uh, showcase. But yeah, so I put down, um, I guess, just talking about a like, wider reveals, E3 season, things like that. God of War, uh, when it returns, uh, Kratos' reveal, Halo 3's reveal is my personal favorite. Yes. Because um, I've always, like, we talked about it on Chatty Face years ago, but I always just loved not knowing who the figure was as they walk through the fog, hearing the voice talk, realizing it's Cortana, then you realize it's Chief, and the music's incredible. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 I put down because Keanu Reeves is pretty iconic for um, his reveal Um, Final Fantasy 7 Remake um, when that got revealed 2016 yes the year of dreams as they called it was when Last Guardian (laughs) came back and Shenmue 3 um Yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake, they had the narrator uh, over the top just speaking nebulous stuff about, like, the galaxy and returns and whatever, and the line of... It was something like, oh, but when they return, it'll be something special. And the camera, you focus through the fog and realize it's Cloud's Buster Sword, and it's like, oh, my God, we're actually doing it. I remember being awake at, like, 3.30 a.m. and freaking out about that. Um, Twilight Princess I put down for the Nintendo one. um, That was one of the only times where Shigeru Miyamoto came out with a sword and shield-like link (laughs) and swiped around, because it was when they did the realistic Zelda... Yes. Um, which is like historically, I mean, it's divisive in terms of its release. I also had down Peter Moore uh, when he worked as head of Xbox revealing his GTA 4 tattoo to confirm that it was, um, I forget what that, that meant, They had DLC, exclusive DLC or right. something for the time. Um, so I threw all those down as just sort of like when it worked, it was magic.
3: That's it. When I worked, it was magic. And you. And, and what you mentioned there with the kind of the, tr- the way the trailers were constructed to keep you guessing. Yes. I got a taste of that with the Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater reveal, where totally. you kind of go, what is this game? What am I getting? And then it's revealed to be a huge, you know, sequel or whatever. Characters in shadow. Whatever. Characters in of shadow it. coming out with the shadows <laughs> and being like, oh my God, it's Kratos. Yeah. It's stuff like that for me, man. It's, um, I'll never forget. And I also mentioned this in a chatty faces way back when. Mm. Um, The first trailer for Uncharted 4 A Thief's End, where it opens on a close-up of Nate's face while he's on the beach. And that blew me away (laughs) because I wasn't even a fan of the series at that point, just the fidelity Mm. of what they managed to capture. Like... I, I scrutinized that one close-up of his face and how much detail I managed to pack into it <laughs> over and over again because, as you know, I love my graphics. You're a and fidelities I man. Love my fidelity, and I love my ear cartilage. And I couldn't believe <laughs> with that trailer that we'd gotten to that point. And yeah. it was mostly reflective of the character models in the final game, and it did live up to that. And I'm just here for those big reveals. I'm here for the times where we see something visually. That we haven't seen before, and mm. I feel like it's been a while—at least in the E3 adjacent space—that we've had that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, Spider-Man Two looks great, but it doesn't necessarily look like the best video game-looking video game you've ever seen in no. terms of the graphics. And it's—it's—it's it's, it's those moments where I think. I have not seen anything like that and I want to play it that define E3 for me
1: that's
2: yeah which is obviously used to be backed up by the stage demos themselves like oh this thing is controllable we're proving it to you right now which like I mean again on the bad side you had the Killzone 2 demo from like 2007 or 6 or whatever it was um, where that was like a target that, I think we talked about it we must have talked about it Yeah. where yeah that, that was a whole thing internally which was submitted as a target render of what the game might look like when it's finished and then from Guerrilla and then Sony just put it out on E3 and apparently all the Guerrilla devs at the time were like what the living hell are you you guys doing Um, because that thing was always a CG uh, fake trailer Um, but yeah that idea of like believability uh, alongside like look what this tech can do that I think that was the root of where E3 came from and it's purpose and that kind of went away um, either with the homogeneity of game design or the like, the leaps between generations being less and less. Um, that's obviously the wider side of it. But um, yeah, do you think that like the the current sort of like live stream era that we're in is the new norm or because you've got people like Jeff Keighley still pushing for a live event, future game show as well. Um, obviously we can mention that future owners where the future game show coming up, not that we're necessarily doing anything for it, but still that whole thing has um, specific hosts, has a whole live thing. Like they're trying to do that a bit as well.
3: I want to see them exist side by side i mm. think even before e3 officially died and its death <laughs> was accelerated certainly by the pandemic it mm. was already dying because a lot of the big publishers realized they didn't need it anymore nintendo True. didn't need it rockstar never needed it sony decided before the pandemic they didn't need it mm-hmm. even e- even ea which always held their showcase around e3 time
0: remove themselves from E3 in particular. They did it
3: over the road. You know what I mean? They just did it to time it around that event. You know, True. all of these publishers were already getting the feeling that it wasn't worth the money, that everything that E3 could provide in the digital era, they could provide themselves. Mm. And while that is cool, and I definitely encourage that, I still love that we do have um, events like the Summer Game Fest showcase where Jeff Keighley will be up there. He'll mm. be talking to developers. He'll be inviting devs on stage to show off their games mm-hmm. rather than just have them be part of a trailer montage. And I, I never want that to go away. And if it does go away, I want that sense of personality and that sense of interaction to be transferred to the uh, online-only um, presentations.
2: Actually, one thing that, that makes me think of is like you mentioned like personality and character and it's like, E3 was very quirky. It was very, like, awkward, and it was kind of like... It was almost an archetypal or a stereotypical... View of a gamer, and we can all find portions of ourselves in that. Um, stumbling through life, figuring it out, whatever. Like there was something about E3 that kind of worked in that way, where it was like, ah, it's a bit awkward, it's a bit cringe," but also it's brilliant, and we're gonna we're gonna freak out and celebrate and dance on the tables because Final Fantasy VII Remake's happening or whatever. It was all just a little bit quirky and a little bit but unique, and it worked. Um, that in terms of the live stream era, like it's like how do you make that come across? Like I feel like because Jeff Keeley is the face and the head and the presenter of the, of the SGF. He's kind of maintains that a little bit. Like, he's a little bit quirky and a little bit awkward himself. Like, sometimes the way he presents stuff, he's looking at the floor all the time or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, like, props to Keeley. The dude's, like, unbelievable in terms of how much he's brought together. Um, but he doesn't necessarily need to worry about being this, like, uber-polished corporate thing, even though it is working in that space. He's bringing all this money in. But, like, that idea of, like, this the streams being curated and the, like, you know, tapping into the game's releases being curated and coming from a place of... I don't know, something more genuine. I think in terms of the PlayStation Showcase, one of the reasons that people really hated it is because the only face that we had on there was Jim Ryan. Yeah. And a lot of people hated the fact that he was like reading from a teleprompter and you could see it and everything. I didn't necessarily hate that. I was just like, whatever, it's, it, that's, that, that's that dude's job. That's what he's going to do. Um, but yeah, it's that sort of like core identity that we put on games or whatever we take from games that I think E3 had in spades.
3: Absolutely, man. Like I want to see the people behind the games. I want to see the people mm. who are involved with them like you said you know I don't have the thing about Jim Ryan that a lot of people on the internet seem to have in terms <laughs> of their dislike for him like I think I don't I don't mind the guy when he turns Man. up of course he's going to be there front and center but it's a shame because I also think like I've not seen Shuhei Yoshida in a long long time I've not seen Neil Druckmann on stage in a long long Corey time Barlog. Corey yeah, Barlog yeah. you know I, I want to see those big names involved because their passion for games mm. comes through, and if even even if they're just you know repeating the corporate spiel and they're just obviously hyping up their next projects and their teams and whatnot, because of course they are. There's an element of humanity there that I I I I, I do appreciate, and mm. I want that to go alongside the games themselves. Because, say for instance. When we saw the new Bungie game, what is it Matter. called? Matter. Yeah. Uh, when we saw that shown off, the trailer was good. People obviously responded to it a lot. Mm. Like, we got... Uh, it was the highest view trailer of the yeah, trail or something. Yeah, on YouTube. But I would have been way more interested and it would have grabbed me way more if you had someone from Bungie either before or after introing it, telling us about the game, mm. what are they planning on doing. You know, a CG trailer is fine. For me, if it's backed up with a bit of context that isn't just on the PlayStation blog where <laughs> it's like, man, <laughs> like this just reads like a press release. Yeah. If, if I'm going to get a press release, I want someone to give it to me and present it to me in an engaging way. Yeah. That, that's the
2: thing. It has to have that level of like of humanity to it or that level of just, like I said, it, it's just a level of being genuine about what you're presenting. I think that one of the, I mean, I, I, Jim Ryan like serves a purpose. I do see why people hate him. And I personally do think his run of PlayStation is very cold. Like it's, it, it works. Dude's making a lot of money, but you can see a lot of the business maneuvers. You can see the chess pieces. He's moving into place with PlayStation studios. And, um, you know, the, the, the whole thing they try to do with the NFT, um, um, unlockables and it didn't work so they just released it as PlayStation rewards but that yeah. thing was meant to be a paid for NFT thing um, you know and like the, all the pushes into live services and mobile games and everything else it's so cold and it's so cold compared to when like, Adam boys and Shuhi Yoshida were doing that skip video from 2016 about how you like share a game on Xbox I mean, 2014 and all that kind of stuff I think that like that level of personality is the thing that would carry the livestream stuff more um, because it was always at the heart of the E3 stuff. Who's gonna come out next? Who's the host that we're gonna be going back to? Whether yeah. it was Mr. Caffey, you know, Aisha Tyler or whatever.
3: Exactly, and I don't want these people to, you know, give me a Mark Cerny-esque talk for three hours or anything like that. I don't need to see that much of them, but like a quick 30 second thing. Oh, a Mark quick Cerny. one minute introduction, get a celebrity on there, get Keanu Reeves, get the stars mm. of the games. On the streams, on the stage, talking about them, like mm-hmm. how much did people like that recent trailer where it's Cameron Monaghan? I was and just gonna, it's, yes, it's Mark Hamill uh, advertising the new Jedi Survivor yeah. game in the behind the scenes. Cameron Monaghan's got his two lightsabers and his mocap leotard, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. That's that's personality. That's something. We're not seeing the game, but at least we're seeing something interesting.
2: I tell you what as well, down that vein, I shout out Ella Blinska. Like, um, her was Frey Holland. Like, bless her getting yes. stuck into all the marketing. Like, by far the best thing about that game is her and her performance. <laughs> the one bit that went viral is the obviously the key worst part of that game. Um, however, I think in context, that scene is completely fine and her character is awesome. Um, But yeah, like, that's the thing. It's like, if you're... The reason that... um, Do, Not Dominic Monaghan. That's the Lord of the Rings man. That's the Lord Cameron of the Rings Monaghan. man. Cameron Monaghan. Cameron. He's um gone down really, really well with the wider Star Wars fandom because again it's genuine, it feels authentic. He's feels quite he's quite excited that he gets to play the character and everything. Um, but yeah, there's obviously a fine line with it and there's obviously so many pitfalls of when it went wrong um, and then examples of like an actor or whoever that just isn't as involved in the project as you would want them to be when they're taking center stage. Um, but you still, I still think there's, there's potential for that. But yeah, going forward, I still, at the minute, view this as a half step. I don't think they're an overall success. I think they serve a purpose, but because they serve a purpose so nakedly, that's then one of the negatives where it's yeah. just like they don't feel like a like, a literal showcase. It's just, here's a live stream of stuff. But it is weird, though, because I do love a Nintendo Direct, and I feel like they have, like, a good mix of stuff where um, you're always cutting back to, like, Doug Bowser or another presenter or, like, on the Indie Treehouse streams you have the devs themselves introduce their indie games every time. So I find, like... That works better for me, but that yeah. might just be the weird Nintendo blinders where I'm just like, oh, Nintendo.
3: Maybe. No, but I think there's something to it. I think they, obviously they kind of did it first and mm. they've had a lot of time to perfect it. And when a Nintendo Direct comes around, people lose their minds <laughs> about it. They, they 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 look forward to it in mm-hmm. the same way that I don't think people look forward to a state of play. Or if they no. do look forward to the state of play, they don't have much expectation that it's going to be good. No. They, they expect to be disappointed more than they expect to uh, have a satisfying show.
2: That's true. I think that um, the yeah stay a play. Like I said, would that change if you had someone as characterful as Doug Bowser or Shigeru Miyamoto or whoever at the head of PlayStation? Like Xbox has Spencer, and people people like refer to Xbox energy and Phil Spencer's um, presenting something or hosting something. Um, even his live streams are like memeable now. What's he got on his shelf behind him and everything? I feel like that's like part and parcel of the cold PlayStation era that they just don't have anything like that at all.
3: No, that is definitely true, I think. You know, like you said, Jim Ryan, for all of his pros and all of his cons, does <laughs> come across quite coldly. He's a businessman. He's a businessman. He talks about the games like a businessman. He I'm hates sure am <laughs> He does not want you to play the old Grand Turismo games. And I'm sure that really works for the shareholders who just want to know about revenue and what games are coming and the portfolio for the Mm. next five years and whatnot. But like you said, you know, I think for as crap as Xbox (laughs) currently are, how much slack do we cut them? Because we like Phil Spencer. Literally. Literally, That's how far that brand has gotten. Literally. And like Don Matrick, bless him, 10 years ago, messing up the launch of the original Xbox One. It took Phil Spencer and his charisma and his ideas to come in. And for the past 10 years, honestly, Xbox has kind of been coasting on that in the mm. promise that he's put forward. And hopefully that promise turns into a reality at some point. But <laughs> for the past five years, you know, I've said it multiple times in this podcast, I've been saying this needs to be the year where Xbox pulls their finger out and shows us what they're doing with all the acquisitions they've made and all of the developers that they have under their wing and all the games they have in production. And they keep disappointing me, but (laughs) Phil comes out and he apologizes and he says, oh, don't worry, look at this uh, fable dummy I've got in the back of this shot. What what do you think about that? And I go, you know what, what, Phil, you know what, I I forgive you again. (laughs) Don't do it to me again, but then he will.
2: And so, yeah, that's the thing. Of course, the next couple of weeks, we've got um, the Xbox showcase on June 11th, and um, Summer Game Fest is on June 8th. So, I think between those two, um, and there's also like a Starfield showcase, but I don't know whether that's a separate thing or not. They keep talking about it as part of the Xbox showcase. I don't know what else you guys are going to show if it's not Starfield. Um, but either way, they have at least two main dates where yes. they can wow the populace.
3: Which is something to look forward to, right? True. And I really am looking forward to both of those. And we'll be doing predictions on them. We'll be doing reactions to them and all of that beautiful stuff. Going back to what you said yes. about like the anticipation, the expectation from these conferences and the Nintendo Directs and the State of Players and the Summer Game Fest. I think the main issue just is with expectation E3 isn't happening this year and we're all still expecting an E3 season. Mm. That's kind of insane, but it's because it's been ingrained in us over the past few decades to expect a certain level of bombast with every conference. And that's obviously just not what the publishers themselves and the console makers themselves are actually interested in Mm. delivering. And I think a part of the issue is the messaging. And I think they need to get out ahead and just kind of say, look, like the world isn't how it used to, how it used to be. We're not interested in doing things how we used to. Do not expect an E3 season in an era where E3 doesn't exist. We're doing things True. our own where The state of players are going to be like this. Stop over-hyping them. Stop expecting <laughs> God of War 3 when you're going to get a PSVR indie title. Yeah. Like like As long as they get out in front of the messaging and try to shift that massive cultural weight and massive cultural expectation, I think, will warm to the current offering because mm. it is kind of mad that, and I'm guilty of this as well. I that, love predicting stuff. That I, yeah, yeah, we, we, how many times have we gone into a showcase, even just a random state of play, and gone, wouldn't it be very exciting if Metal Gear yeah, Solid was there? Wouldn't it be exciting if a Bloodborne remake was there? And mm. it's like... I think at this point, it breaks my heart, Scott Tilford, <laughs> but I just have to accept that, like, that's just not what they're interested in, in doing at these showcases oh, anymore. Oh, I am. Um,
2: I, I don't know if I necessarily disagree, because there's a lot of the sort of points in that direction. I mean, Phil Spencer's whole, like, tell-all interview with Kind of Funny was very much him just going, like, we're in third place, we're going to do third-place things, that we're going to see how we go. Um, I don't know, I feel like there's so much cultural cachet to, like, this time of the year or to the E3 season or whatever you want to refer to it, that it can be used for good and not be, like... Because it's almost like, what's the point? Like, if you're going to, like, shift it away uh, in terms of expectation, then you need to do something more like what I was saying about having a more regular rollout model. Because at the heart of it, a lot of these things only exist to please the shareholders anyway, to let people know what they're investing in. So it's just like how much of that needs to be done behind closed doors? Like, you know, could you have a more regular rollout model that takes the weight off the summer season? Because all the games are going um, all the game releases are gonna go away across the next couple of months after this next bulk happens with Street Fighter and Diablo and Final Fantasy 16. And then there's nothing until like September when Starfield comes out. So it's like that that tends to always be the E3 season. What what do we got for next year? Like whatever. And I feel like you need a replacement for that. Yeah. I just as you know, for me it's like they have all the power to pick and choose when they wanna do the conferences when they, and, and how they wanna massage them and everything. Um, I would just much rather that was used for something than nothing. But like, not that you wouldn't, but I just think that, I don't know, it's like, what are we doing <laughs> if, if, if you can't do these things? Like, it's so simple to wow the masses. We're asking for a 60 FPS patch on Bloodborne. Like, how hard is that?
3: It's true, and don't get me wrong. Like, in an ideal world, mm. I'd love them to come out with an old school E3 style packed presentation mm-hmm at least once a year. It's just at this point, I've hoped for that over the past two, (laughs) three, maybe even four years, and I've not got it. So at a certain point, I have to wonder if the problem's me in my expectations. (laughs) Depends if you're an Xbox fan or an To continue to expect huge E3 style reveals from an industry that doesn't seem to be interested in that at all and Mm -hmm. is telling me that they're not interested in that at all.
2: That's true. In terms of the wider industry, like, I mean, right now, and I don't know the names of the specific insiders, I think one of them was Tom Henderson um, speaking about the Xbox showcase, saying there were one or two, or two or three major reveals that will like leave jaws on the floor or something, which I think was a write-up from a different insider. Um, but again, once you see something like that, it's like, it's okay, cool, that might be fun. I think that for me, it's like, again, it's, it's a wider tempered expectation thing and it's an optics on the industry thing where like we always refer to or I always refer to like the the teams uh, the publishers as sports teams. It's yeah. like, okay, what have you guys got this season? What are you going to throw? I'm not like crying myself to sleep if they don't have anything. It doesn't matter. Like it's it's fun. It should be fun. And um, so I'm always going in like you know making ridiculous tweets, making ridiculous predictions because that something might happen and that could be fun. That to me is part and parcel of the fun of following the industry. Um, and if that like. I don't think they'll ever go away entirely, but I think like yeah, the idea of tempering expectations and just saying no, this will always be CG trailers. Yeah, like there's something so fundamentally disheartening about that that I would hope it never goes that way.
3: That nah, fully agree. It is disheartening. It is 100 <laughs> disheartening. It's just I wonder if I have to be more realistic mm. about it than I have been previously. Because you I'm totally do not getting that stuff, and that's not even a bad thing, by the way. Mm. Like I'm, I'm being quite negative there. But like I say, what they are giving me, I'm still really enjoying. I really love that PlayStation Showcase when a lot of people didn't. I'll probably really enjoy the Xbox Showcase, even if they only show two or three games that I'm looking (laughs) forward to, including Starfield with that uh, entirely separate thing that they have planned. Mm -hmm. So the place they're at is good. It's just like we often talk about on this uh, podcast we're talking about the difference between a 7 out of 10 show and a 9 out of 10 (laughs) show a 10 out of 10 show a memorable thing
2: yeah the things that I mentioned before the examples I gave like uh, the God of War reveal like Cyberpunk like Halo 3 that's the bar like if you're telling a mass audience that there's something for them to watch and they're going to take their time and watch it and for certain time zones we're watching at 2am or whatever it is then it better be worth the time and obviously that's going to be subjective to, to a point but if you can tell that they tried to aim for or something, something, some sort of reveal or some sort of IP that was resurrected or something. That's what we kind of want out of those showcases.
3: Absolutely, and let me throw you a curveball <laughs> while we end this podcast. You played dead island too. I'm bloody hell, bloody Me oh, I need to, By the way, when this podcast finishes, I need to talk to you about it's, that. It's island good. Two. Oh, it's really good. Really need to talk to you about most
2: next gen game of the generation
3: <laughs> so far. <laughs> it, is really? I mean, it is, ridiculous. Oh, what was I saying? Yes, curveball. what I was going to ask. Was in the current age, we're all online. Everything is digital we're guilty of this to a certain extent of facilitating and encouraging this culture. Yes. But I wonder how much of our disappointment going into some of these showcases and why we're not getting those 10 out of 10 reveals and feelings is because so much is leaked beforehand. Like I still popped big for MGS3 Snake Eater being like the PlayStation Showcase because I thought the way they played it you know, lulled you into a false sense of security where you didn't think it was going to be snakey. And then it was, and then it was like, whoa, that's great. (laughs) But I saw a lot of people annoyed because they said, well, it was practically announced anyway. It was leaked so much beforehand, we were expecting it. And it's so hard in the current era to get those unleaked, reveals True. Uh, that I think that to a certain extent, at least I can speak from my perspective as someone who has to uh, report on that stuff and mm. um, definitely dulls the impact of what might be there because even something as big as Resi four last year or whenever that was announced at the PlayStation thing, and mm. um, that would have been something had I not known about it existing for two plus years, thanks to a bunch of leaks <laughs> that would have blown my mind, but I came away from that showcase and it wasn't the showcase's fault. Not as hyped as I would have been because Mm -hmm. I already was expecting that to be there.
2: Oh, my, my whole side of that is the same as saying like, oh, this character might be in this movie or like this theory or like they're fan theories to me. Like it's not real until it's real. Like, right. I, like I still popped or freaked out or whatever when Metal Gear Delta happened when Snake came out the shadow because oh my God, it act- it's actually happening. Oh, we were right all along. It's whatever. Like that, it only reinforces it for me. Like it's part of the, the fun. Like that's why I think you should have as much fun as possible predicting stuff because the chance when you're, if you happen to get it right, that reaction is hilarious. And that's like a bit of the E3 <laughs> magic again. So like for me, I just have fun with that stuff like that's like i said I've, i view the potential rumors the potential leaks um almost like fan theories or something because like it's not because i mean sony held back on their own triple a stuff at least according to the insiders yeah um for another showcase later in the year and so like they are trying to play that game as well of like what do we give you now how do we temper expectations for me it's it's all part of the excitement like I, we we knew about well not we not me and you but i and peter austin back when when he was here knew that the spider-man was being made by insomniac for like a year before it came out not that we had any inside road or whatever but there was so some leaked document thing that showed it. And we did a video on it back in, like, whatever it would have been, 2016 or something. But when that was finally real, that reaction of, like, oh, my God, we got it right. Like, I love that so much. Right. So, like, I have so much fun with that just because, like I said, it's not rubber-stamped until it's done. Like, it was – yeah,
3: it's always going to be that to me. He's the thing. Go on. And maybe we're going to have a creative disagreement, behind-the-scenes creative disagreement on this podcast right now because yes. I hate that. I hate that so much okay. because – I don't have the same ability to compartmentalize it that I think you do. <laughs> when I see something, conf- well, quote-unquote confirmed... I was say, you don't know it till you know it. ...from Tom Henderson and Jason Schreier, I'm talking about, like, the incredibly reliable leakers... I believe it wholeheartedly because right. they have such a track record and I just take it as gospel because nine times out of 10, they're usually right. And for me, my brain can't latch onto the one out of 10 chance that they won't be right and then get re-excited because I I almost feel like I've peeked behind the curtain <laughs> no, like, and I know.
2: Yeah, this we should do a whole other podcast on spoiler culture and gaming because it's definitely like the lifeblood of... It's more of a lifeblood of the industry than it ever used to be, hence Tom Henderson starting his own website and calling it insider Gaming. And we'll do a whole podcast on this, but I think that... Yeah, it's always like you get the first hankerings of something, the first rumors, the first mention, the first, like some part of it in a write-up, like Bioshock 4, uh, when Mafia 3 was being covered and Jason Schreier just mentioned it was in development next door to the studio. I'm always like the amount of other tribulations and machinations of the industry mean that thing might not come true at all. And the full games that are way further into development have been canned. So I'm always like, again, it's not real until I see it. And even then it might not come out.
3: That's true. No, and to be fair, there's obviously layers to this. When I hear about you know a new Bioshock game Mm. being in development and that's all we have. To me, that's exciting. To me, what dulls my anticipation and my excitement is when I see someone say, We're gonna get a Metal Gear solid trailer this time next week, and here's how long it's gonna be. Okay. And I understand like there's there's a desire for that information. We report on it, it's it's interesting, it's fascinating, and it's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I I I kinda love that stuff intellectually, but talking purely as a as a fan and a kid more or less. Right, okay the the kid part of me wants to get excited about the possibilities of this stuff those two things to me just aren't quite compatible mm. and i almost have to put on my grown up brain and be like okay we're reporting <laughs> on this this is yeah, obviously going like, to happen yeah. this is just like the cold brass tacks of things
2: yeah that's definitely like the the role we have in terms of the modern gaming journalist dive diving into the the most recent leaks or whatever the hell's breaking that morning hence the daily news or whatever yeah. it is I, I love that stuff like i said it's it's for me that's a natural progression of the fan being excited just because like i said it's not real until it's real so i i just it's the same to me but right. like uh, but i know what you mean i think that obviously if we didn't know that um I don't know, some dream project was happening at all. And then you get the reveal trailer and it's like, oh my God. But even back in the day, I was reading the magazines and the previews and the rumors and like, you know, the earliest days of the internet and all that kind of stuff. It's always been... When the final show happens, oh my god, that bit was real. Yeah. Okay, that's actually ha- that developer's actually doing this. Like they're, they're never like they're not always one hundred percent spot on. It's always like no, like if it was like Naughty Dog's doing a new game, and then the logo finally comes up. It's like oh my god, okay, what what's it actually going to be? Yeah, um, it's it's always a case by case. Even though I do know what you mean, I think there's like an innocence to it that was more in the E three days. That's a good um, word for isn't it. There.
3: In, in in innocence, and I think you know, I always. One day, if I wasn't doing this job, like how would I react to some of these mm. showcases? Because I wouldn't follow the leaks. No. you know I, I would purposefully put a wall up between me and them. I mean, I don't even watch trailers if I don't have to. I love
2: You didn't know the, the what was it? The building in Tears of the Kingdom?
3: No, no, I didn't know anything about Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> I didn't know a single thing about what was in that game. I knew that you were in the sky. I didn't yeah. know The mechanics. And you go back <laughs> to the ground again. <laughs> you go back to the ground again. Didn't know about anything because I purposefully knew that I wouldn't be covering it. So I thought, well, if I'm not going to cover it, right. I'm just going to keep away from it. all. I'll enjoy it old school style, and I do give myself those treats now and again. Mm. But they are—they're very rare, right? I right. Say. And that's just, I think, an interesting landscape to be in because I think even if you're not doing this job and doing the daily news on mm. video games, uh, the culture has shifted to the, to the point where you are checking those things out. I was going to say very few people I
2: mean, are doing the job side of it, but yeah. are but will keep up with the leaks. Will keep up with the rumors of it.
3: I mean, evidently, by the amount of you guys listening to this podcast mm. and watching these uh, videos that we do, you know, which is. Really really appreciate and I love having that discussion and that community and stuff. And I just think that is like indicative of the change in how we consume a uh, video game development cycles and also how the information of those development cycles uh, has changed in regards to its distribution, because yes. now it's not necessarily waiting until a publisher reveals what they're working on or what mechanics are going to be in their next game. It's finding out, you know, 6 to 12 to 18 months in advance from Tom Henderson or Jason Schreier who's dropped a report <laughs> on that game first.
2: Yeah, and like I said, we'll do a whole podcast on this because I feel like the, the leak culture is a whole other thing. Like game devs alternate and for the most part come down on the side of we weren't ready for people to know about that yet. Why the hell is this leaking so early? Now expectations are changed and tempered and maybe now this project doesn't even make it to um, launch because the the publisher now says like, well, everybody hates that idea. Mm. So like, oh, that's never going to sell. We'll just can it now and we'll just cut it off early. Um, like with Anthem 2 or whatever, the whole thing that's um, come out about that with one of the directors talking about it. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that stuff more. I just, for me, it's it's just finding fun in the ludicrous clown car that is the gaming industry, um, and like the rumors and the leaks point at something that we, I'm like, I'm, I'm I am always that'll be exciting. That sounds potentially cool. I'll wait and see. I'll that sounds potentially cool. I'll wait and see. It's it's no different than if they did an official teaser. Um, it's always kind of part of things in a certain direction, and you wait for the official thing to actually really get excited about it.
3: I'll never forget um, how you could compartmentalize the leaks <laughs> for The Last of Us Part Two where right. you had the strength of mind to be able to cling on to the idea that those might not have been true or what you saw might have <laughs> but been But I, did, I didn't...
2: Yeah, I, well, that, that, the thing is with that, there was like three or four leaks doing in the rounds for Last of Us 2. Um, I'm going to do Last of Us 2 spoilers for the beginning of that game because I need to talk about something specific. Everybody knows what I'm referring to, if you know. Um, and I'm going to talk about the beginning of that game. If not, thank you very much for listening to us because <laughs> we'll be ending the podcast after this anyway. Um, but yeah, I didn't know which set of those leaks were doing the rounds. And so the one that I'd read... I can't even think what it was. It was that it was like Joe kills um, Abby or something. Yeah. And so at the beginning of that game, playing through it for myself, fine. I think we had a review code, so it wasn't public yet. Playing through it, the, be- the bit at the beginning of that game where Abby kills Joel, I celebrated. Because it meant that I was wrong. It meant that the leak was wrong, and then it meant that I was in for this whole thing that I had no idea about. Story leaks are a different thing, I think, anyway. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, that whole thing of like, I don't know it until I know it kind of thing. Um, Again, story story spoilers change it, because if you tell me the final twist of the movie or the game, it's going to change it differently. But that had the inverse effect, where the person leaking it to try and ruin it only made it more exciting for me, because it meant I was completely, I had no idea what was going to happen
3: next. I've never been that lucky, man. (laughs) The leaks that I saw for The Last of Us Part Two were Spot on at every single oh. turn. It ruined my month. It really yeah. did. I was bummed out. Like, like, literally, it's stupid to say in a way, but, you know, you spend all that time looking forward to a game. And you're seven years looking forward to The Last of Us Part 2. You're in the middle of a pandemic at the time with nothing to look forward to. <laughs> You've got all your hopes in this game, and then suddenly you see spoilers for it, and it's like, god damn. Yeah. it. There was nothing in my mind that could detach from that for whatever reason. I wish I was built like you. I well, didn't... no, I mean,
2: mine, if that had happened, then I would have been like, oh, well, I knew that was coming. I, like right. I said, I think story spoilers and just seeing a project and development are massively different. Definitely. Because um, there's way more emotional investment in the story side of things. Um, but yeah, we'll fold this into another discussion because I feel like it affects everybody, especially if you make a point of following the industry. If gaming is a part of your identity and you keep up with the industry and you keep up with developers um, and announcements and everything else as we do, um, then you have a varying degrees of a relationship to how much you want those leaks and how much you want things to be spoiled. We've never done a video on, hey, this this person dies in this thing. Like no. that's all Because it's always like what's going to be crappy to the audience? Whereas it's... In, Assumedly, it should be exciting saying, like, hey, there's a Bioshock 4 happening.
3: That is true. I think to a certain extent, uh, we definitely have an editorial policy, if you could describe it as that, Hmm. where we we will talk about something that might be in development. But if, like, for instance, there have been a bunch of apparent leaks for Spider-Man 2 and a bunch of gameplay stuff for that and story stuff. We won't be reading them. I've not looked at them. I won't be reading them. I won't be reporting on them. Like, that's a a level of... um, invasion, almost, that I just, I don't think is cool uh, across the board necessarily. And it's not something that I would indulge in, but obviously the information is out there. It's accessible. People like reading about that stuff. I remember, you know, uh, was it the Rise of Skywalker script leaked incredibly early? or? Maybe it was the Scream 6 script leaked incredibly early as well. And like, obviously people were diving all over that. Like I would throw my phone and laptop (laughs) into the sea before clicking on that stuff. But you know, like you said, there's completely different layers from talking about something that might be in development in a hangar somewhere mm. and talking about like, this is definitely going to be the finished article and yeah. everything that happens beat beep by beep, by
2: beep. Yeah, it's a level of specificity and it's a level of like entertainment value to it. I think it's, yeah, it has it has to, it's the kind of stuff that you would want to talk to your friends about versus be annoyed that they told you. And then you, <laughs> you had to tell them, that, that, spoilers, don't tell me that. Like it's all that's always the line. Um, yeah, and it, it's always like whether, which parts of that initial rumbling actually come true or not. Oh my God, they're actually running with that. Okay, it is that character, it is that thing. Um, but yeah overall though we started talking about E3 about 10 years ago yeah we did um, it is E3 season Summer so Games Fest is on next week and we will keep up with all those things across the podcast across the daily news etc for now this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast I've been your host Scott Telford joined by Josh Brown always a pleasure Scott Telford always a pleasure to be heard by all of you and we'll catch you oh. very soon bye bye bye, bye.